Hello everyone, this is Dan Woods from Early Adopter Research. I'm sitting here today at Strata New York City with Tendu Yorguchu. She is CTO of SyncSort. Uh, I asked her if she would join me today because we wanted to talk about a bunch of emerging trends and then three ideas that we worked together on that came, became uh, papers that uh, SyncSort has published. Um, so Tendu, this show has been going on a while. We've both been attending for, for many years. Um, yesterday I talked to Josh Rogers, the CEO of SyncSort, about what's going on in the general marketplace. What do you think is different about where we're at in the you know, landscape of, of, of making data work uh, now as opposed to when this show started you know, five or six years ago? Sure. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. Uh, I apologize for my voice, uh, uh, getting something uh, right now. Dan, uh, if we compare this show today to the 10 years or five years back, uh, I think the maturity uh, is the biggest uh, change from my perspective. Uh, because uh, when we started uh, during the first five years of uh, big data and Hadoop and distributed platforms, uh, everybody was almost running uh, for what is next. Uh, from event to event, people were looking, what's the next shiny thing? What's the new project coming? How is this going to uh, help me? And uh, there was a lot of wonder about what should I pick as my first project? This big data thing sounds like a good thing, but uh, how am I going to tackle the business use case and prove return on investment? Uh, this year's events in general, uh, whether it's Strata New York or earlier uh, uh, in San Jose and uh, DataWorks in uh, San Jose and this particular one in New York, shows that actually this uh, stack is now maturing and uh, people have actual projects and challenges that they are trying to tackle and uh, stopped running after that next shiny project but more uh, recognizing that we need the similar disciplines around data we are used to in the traditional environments uh, in a more agile way and uh, uh, better fit uh, for this uh, data environment. So in a way we've moved from the kind of early, uh, the, 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 the innovator and early adopter sort of phase into the early majority uh, phase if we use Jeffrey Moore's uh, adoption Absolutely. framework. Absolutely, yes. And so the, the, the problems are, are, are people are facing are more about how do you actually uh, create a solution and all the surrounding plumbing and operational procedures to actually get value instead of what we used to see which was a new logo in the chart of Hadoop related projects you know every six months. That's, that's pretty much it and I think uh, uh, there is also uh, uh, recognition of uh, the technology and the algorithms and machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, 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 cloud uh, itself are not going to be solving the business problems. We have to still uh, 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 really come up what's the business uh, challenge we are trying to address as a community and uh, what are the best ways to address that and algorithms are just algorithms. Uh, we have them, machine learning AI has been around uh, for a, a long time. The data is really powering them now in these new environments. And also the agility and the nimbleness of the environments and the practices that uh, we are seeing at the moment. So how do we make sure that we are uh, accessing, integrating clean sync and providing the clean data sets to these uh, new data pipelines? In, one aspect of it. The other one is uh, uh, we have seen a, a 
disruption, uh, business and technology disruption uh, by the uh, uh, distributed compute platforms and the availability of these uh, new uh, platforms uh, in the data warehouse and uh, data as a service architectures. And uh, we know the next, next platform is going to come. There's already a, a cloud uh, impact that's happening. So uh, there's a very uh, big desire from uh, the businesses, especially from the large enterprise. How do I future-proof my environment? So I don't have to kind of reinvent every time something like this happens. Well, you know, that that's a really excellent uh, segue. Uh, before we get there, I wanted to um, uh, just talk about one aspect that I went over uh, only quickly with Josh yesterday, but I know you can add a little bit more depth. Yesterday when I talked with Josh, he talked about what's going on with the emerging trends of cloud, IoT and streaming data, AI and data science, and data governance. But he also mentioned that it's clear that you guys are going to be investing in, and, and it's, it, it, it's a very major area of focus for a lot of companies, uh, that is blockchain. And so we talked briefly about the approach that SyncSort is going to take to blockchain in terms of being an enabler of uh, using the data that comes out of blockchain data repositories and then being able to make that useful. I wanted to go a little bit deeper into that before we talk about future-proofing, because then we can maybe use blockchain as an example of how a future-proofed architecture will be able to adapt to it, uh, uh, you know, ins instead of having to start from scratch. So, what do you think, to me, blockchain is uh, a very early, uh, powerful technology that has a great use case in cryptocurrency. It's obvious that it, there's a lot of excitement about blockchain and there's you know, crazy things happening like the crypto kitties, you know, where people are really spending money on you know, creating virtual assets and there's nothing wrong with that and the blockchain you know, makes it actually work in a, in a protected way, but you could implement that same thing a dozen different ways. Blockchain is not essential to it is, as it is with cryptocurrency. What I'm concerned about, and I see the blockchain being spread around, is it seems like there's a lot of applications for it that use the blockchain, but maybe wouldn't have to use the blockchain. You know, they, 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 it could be implemented a variety of different ways and be just as secure. What do you think the, the kind of characteristics of a real blockchain application are? So the, the applications that will benefit uh, uh, that will have the biggest benefit from blockchain are really applications where there's a lot of uh, um, manual uh, uh, confirmation of the contracts and insurance of the contracts and uh, many third parties involved in those insurance. So if we kind of go back to the uh, Silk Road trade days where everything was so simple, you exchange goods or services, and you only pay for the cost of goods and services. Then we went to another kind of uh, edge case with the current uh, state of the trade uh, systems. You have so many third parties involved, uh, with, uh, considering, for example, a supply chain. Uh, you have so many third parties involved to ensure the buyer, the seller, uh, confirm uh, they are capable, they have the goods or services, uh, they have the uh, uh, ways to pay for those good services. It became really expensive, uh, a lot of additional costs on top of the uh, costs and services, and very manual, so it's very uh, manual for, for example, uh, uh, food supply chain or uh, car uh, parts manufacturing supply chain or uh, 
cross-border trade is uh, a big, big uh, 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 target for this. Uh, and it, it's difficult to track because it's cross-borders, different disciplines, and uh, a lot of work has to happen. So the applications, uh, especially in supply chain, anything uh, that involves trade and manual uh, work cross-borders, across different uh, uh, legal and contractual uh, terms uh, will benefit from this because uh, it it is it has the promise it has it has the promise to uh, automate that with the complexity on distributed compute networks with the complexity right. of algorithms and also create that visibility that right. we don't currently have right so so in a complex supply chain you'll be able to see the actions from the beginning to the end of a the where a part came from who owned it at certain parts when it crossed borders you know how when it was inspected all these people making authoritative statements about things that happened that then can be can either confirmed or uh, or not by another group of people yeah. and um, so then you've got this repository of of a very rich detailed history of what happened to various things that you know went through a commercial process what then is SyncSort going to do to make that data more interesting and more useful? So let me step back uh, uh, a bit uh, to answer that question. We see blockchain just as another platform, right? And uh, if we look at the SyncSort, we have been helping our customers advancing data and helping uh, create that data journey with adopting next generation uh, platforms. So we have done that uh, with the big data and Hadoop. Uh, we have uh, over 7,000 customers today, 84 of Fortune 100. So very uh, uh, big uh, global financial services, banks and uh, healthcare, insurance, telco, they are our customers. And they have a lot of uh, existing uh, platforms. I don't call them legacy anymore because the definition of legacy changes uh, day by day, right? right? We used to call maybe uh, mainframe legacy, which we never, it's a growth segment still uh, for us. And uh, you have IBMI systems, you have traditional data warehouse systems with Teradata, Nitiza, Oracle, which uh, might be uh, becoming legacy in the current architecture uh, that's more centralized around Hadoop or Cloud. So we had our customers in this journey and continue to help transitioning uh, from uh, existing platforms, existing data architectures to the next generation architecture when the big data disruption happened. Uh, and we are still doing that. Uh, we had them creating the centralized data access, uh, leveraging their existing critical data sources in addition to the new data coming through web, mobile, social networks, uh, and landing into uh, data lake directly. We had with that uh, journey. And uh, this is yet another platform. So this is, we see that we will be in the best place because we have such a, a critical uh, customer base and enterprise customer base and so, help them transition into the next generation platform. And so just like you allow people to access to data um, from the mainframes and can bring that into the Hadoop environment or to other environments to use, just like you are able to um, use your DMX technology to allow you to create a data pipeline that works on the first generation of Hadoop systems, but then might you know translates uh, you know without modification to the, the second generation. It, it what you're saying is that you're going to be able to create a data pipeline that extracts the useful data out of the blockchain platform and then delivers it to wherever it's needed for further use. 
Yes, and it's world-based, right? The, the challenges uh, for blockchain, uh, what we are seeing today, the investment is increasing. Venture capital is putting more money. So the uh, technology companies started putting uh, uh, more investments into this segment. However, the technology adoption is very slow. And uh, there are a couple of di different reasons. Uh, one, the standardization of the practices, it's evolving. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, two, uh, nobody is going to start populating the data in the blockchain from scratch, right? We already have data in the repositories of the enterprise regarding the assets that they want to track or exchange regarding the participants in the network who will be the participants uh, for a particular uh, supply chain, for example. That data exists somewhere already. So that has to be populated in the blockchain platform. So I see, it's also, it's also moving data in to, in, to seed the exactly. blockchain as well as moving it out. Exactly, so there's a, a data in and out of the blockchain on and off the platform aspect. And we'll be in the best positions and we are in the best position to do that uh, because that's our ex expertise. We have done that with mainframe, IBMI, relational data stores, uh, Hadoop, cloud stores, data stores, uh, uh, streaming uh, distributed platforms. And, and the second aspect is the governance. So uh, when we talk about the participants in a particular domain in blockchain, uh, uh, there is the address, uh, geocode, uh, uh, location, uh, enrichment piece, uh, uh, and uh, uh, our data quality and integrate portfolio in general fits very well. So we will be looking uh, in how we can, for example, leverage some of the products, global locator data quality uh, in the blockchain uh, environment. And I see, because people, when they start dealing with the data on the way into the blockchain, are going to have all of the same problems they have with bringing data into the data lake or into the data warehouse or into any application that needs it. Absolutely. They're going to have quality problems. They're going to have... Uh, uh, synchronization and integration problems, they're going to have replication problems, and all of that is going to be needed to support it. And so and that's when you say it's just another platform. What's happening, almost it's almost as if what's going on inside it isn't as relevant because you can surround it with this plumbing to create a data supply chain. Absolutely, and the third aspect is the security. We do now have products, uh, security products in our portfolio. More importantly, we have very close uh, partnerships in regards to that. So we'll be partnering and uh, uh, identifying areas, uh, perhaps we can uh, collaborate uh, in the security area. Uh, and, and as a kind of orthogonal to all of this in relation to our products, there's a very important component for us being part of the uh, blockchain open source community. So this is the Hyperledger project. Hyperledger, Hyperledger we see is the uh, most enterprise ready uh, project. So later this month we'll be announcing membership to Hyperledger's uh, project and we are really excited about it. That's how our Hadoop journey also started in uh, 2010. We started uh, by contributing to the open source project. Uh, this helps uh, being part of the community, collaborating with the community, uh, also influencing and helping in areas that matters for our enterprise customers. Uh, because we will have to mature the platform and we will work together uh, with the rest of the Hyperledger committee. So that's, uh, that's another angle. Uh, if we go back to your uh, uh, question, uh, our focus this year have been and will continue to be around the four megatrends, cloud, um, streaming, 
and uh, uh, data science, which people refer to as, as yeah. machine learning and AI, right, right. and uh, uh, data governance, which is kind of uh, across all of these, right? It becomes more complex uh, because right. of all of these uh, trends. So blockchain uh, is another one. It's early research and product development for us. We have some products that uh, we will announce uh, blockchain ready. And uh, uh, data governance will continue to be the kind of umbrella theme because it's just an evolving uh, data platform and data architecture, uh, whether uh, the data pipeline is uh, shifting uh, as a combination of data lake plus data bus, whether it's shifting as a combination of on-premise and cloud architectures, it's uh, just an opportunity for us to help our customers uh, uh, adapting the uh, new trends and uh, platforms. Um. That's great. Okay. Uh, that was exactly the answer I wanted about blockchain. Now let's move on to the three ideas that we wanted to cover. First of all was the idea of how to future-proof your data. Second was the idea of how to put all your data to work. And the third was how do you debug data that's being used for data science, meaning AI and ML uh, applications. Now the first uh, 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 paper we worked on is all about uh, the idea of how can you create and do the work you need to do today in a way that when new platforms arrive, you won't be uh, having to redo that work. Now let's explain the, the opposite of future-proofing. So if you adopted Hadoop as a data lake, and then you did a bunch of programming uh, in that data lake using MapR and Java, uh, Map, you know, MapReduce and Java, and then uh, you, you did a bunch of applications, created a bunch of pipelines, and then all of a sudden, um, you, uh, the new Hadoop comes along, the next distribution, with, that uses the YARN technology, which is a superior abstraction of the resources in the Hadoop system. And then now, in order to take advantage of that, you would have to rewrite all of that code. That's not future-proof. That's something where you're locked into a certain state of affairs. Now, if you had used cascading, uh, uh, a library that allows you to write at a high level a declaration of an application, and then it compiles it into whatever Hadoop distribution you're using, or if you use DMX uh, to do that, to build those pipelines, the sync sort uh, uh, ETL uh, uh, language, um, you would then have be able to move from Hadoop, the first version, and take advantage of the second version with Yarn with almost no work at all, because you had created the work at an abstract layer. And so I think that the idea of future-proofing is all about how do you pick the right abstractions? And it's not just one layer. I just talked about one layer, which is the transformation layer. There's also the data access layer. There's also the analytics layer. There's a lot of different layers that you want to be as abstract as possible. Um, in the paper, we talk about you know, the problem of lock-in. We talk about you know, the, 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 the stack and how the stack has different layers and the importance of future-proofing data. But at the end, if you do this right, what we argued was that you can liberate your data so that you know as it becomes more and more useful for more and more use cases with less and less work. I mean, how do you see, if you were a CIO right now, what advice would you give them about how to increase the future-proofing of the data that they have in their architecture? Our advice to the uh, CIO or the uh, chief data officers, uh, uh, the C-level executives, is really choose uh, software tools that will help uh, uh, the organization use existing skills to create the pipelines and software tools that will be abstracting the 
level of complexity or the change or the rapid innovation that's happening in the underlying platform. And uh, as you mentioned that uh, I actually all of our integrate portfolio, uh, both uh, DMX, uh, DMXH, CDC on the data integration and uh, quality, uh, data quality products are uh, helping our customers do that. Uh, when MapReduce version 1 uh, was available and our customers moved to MapReduce version 2 with Yarn and uh, uh, better resource management, none of them had to make any application changes. They, don't ha they did not have to recompile applications. And the same thing uh, we uh, guaranteed moving into Apache Spark as the underlying compute framework as opposed to MapReduce. And this is not limited to just the distributed compute platform. It's same like uh, Kafka version one really broke all of the APIs uh, uh, that uh, people were using. If somebody was programming against that, they had to pretty much rewrite uh, their code. Uh, people using our uh, Integrate portfolio didn't have to change anything. So we, we, we take pride in doing that. This is a big differentiation and it was something that actually we collaborated with our early adapter customers in the Hadoop space because they were challenged uh, with this. They came to us, how do we uh, future-proof uh, the uh, software and applications because this is going to be an ongoing cha challenge. And as you remember, in the, old, uh, in the early days, it was like one project comes to the Hadoop stack in six months it may actually disappear. Right. It's not just uh, evol evolving, it may not exist anymore. Uh, oh, and, and then there's know. also projects that never realized their potential, that e never became exactly. production quality. E exactly. So, uh, so it sounds like what you're saying is that what you want to do is you want to be aware that the process, there's a part of your, your, your architecture that's going to change. Certain processing engines, certain ways of, of storing data. And there's a part of your architecture where you're, you're you're expressing things that, that are going to change much slower, like as, such as the rules for how do you move data from one place to another. And what you want to do is you want to pick a way, a, a vendor who's promising you, I will allow you to express the work you want to do, but then protect you from changes in the underlying architecture. And so whatever layer you're at, you want to find a way to, to do that work and that, and that to, in a way that won't cause you to rewrite it later. And that's what future-proofing is really about. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, what it is about and uh, what we do in our engine is uh, we have something we refer to as intelligent execution but uh, it does the planning of the execution with respect to uh, the compute framework, the topology and uh, what's happening at runtime as opposed to design time. So that becomes a differentiation because now you are still taking advantage uh, of uh, the new uh, technology in that layer you referred and optimizing with respect to that, yet uh, giving uh, a higher level, a more abstract view for, for what's happening in the data pipeline, what are the sources, what are the targets, what kind of transformations or quality processes that business rules, poli business policies that you are creating. Now, let, that's a perfect segue into the next um, topic I want to talk about, which is putting all your data to work. In this paper, um, uh, it was called Putting All Your Data to Work, Why Legacy and Traditional Data is a Goldmine for AI and Analytics. Essentially what we talk about is the fact that when you're starting to do an AI or ML application and, or any serious type of data science, you know, it's all about the data. You know, the question is how much can you get, how high quality is it, how can you make it better, 
And we'll be, of course, talking in our next topic about debugging that data. But um, it seems to me in a lot of projects, uh, an AI uh, re uh, entrepreneur recently told me that he thinks that Kaggle has had a really negative effect on the practice of data science because Kaggle gives you this neat, beautiful set of data that, and your job is to apply the fancy algorithms that you know from your training better than everybody else. But in the real world, what's going to make the difference between one company's application beating another company's? It's not necessarily the, ac the algorithms, it's how well you assembled the data and how well you kept it up and how well you added new data when it was discovered. And a lot of the people aren't paying attention to huge troves of data that are trapped in mainframes, in, in other difficult to access systems, uh, in you know, unstructured formats. Um, and uh, how, can you give me a few examples of where companies have achieved big victories because they've actually brought legacy data out of these hard to get at environments? Um, sure, uh, and uh, uh, absolutely uh, that I, absolutely that data makes a difference in terms of the insights we get out of the uh, practices with machine learning, AI, and uh, data science in general. So if you look at the kind of the uh, promise of uh, predictive analytics uh, and uh, machine learning, it relies on uh, the uh, rich data sets. And rich data sets, if uh, an organization is only including one particular uh, uh, set of data instead of tapping into uh, the uh, a variety and diverse set of their uh, data repositories, that is going to bias the insights in a particular way, right? And uh, it's not just legacy data. Uh, most critical assets like customer reference data uh, is still stored in these uh, uh, mainframe or IBMI environments or uh, some uh, legacy uh, relational uh, data warehouse uh, uh, in the uh, enterprise. So not be taking advantage of that uh, in the uh, AI pipeline and data science uh, practices is really a missed opportunity. I mean, in some cases you have to because the customer reference data is there. And in other cases that it's a missed opportunity because now you are by, uh, really having uh, your insights by, uh, very biased on the new data uh, that's being generated and uh, obviously the gravity of that new data is growing more rapidly than some of these uh, data repositories uh, you already have. So data makes a big, big, big difference and uh, we do help uh, our customers really uh, tap into that uh, because today we are able to access all data stores, all including uh, on-premise and uh, cloud and uh, uh, integrate uh, and deliver in a trusted manner. Well, and in the paper, we talk about six reasons you need access to data legacy, you know, how it can help make AI and ML better, uh, you know, what uh, a data supply chain looks that gets you access to that legacy data, and then how do you make it all, you know, knit together to make everything work. Uh, you know, we, we also cover the idea of a data marketplace, where you, you do this work, but you do it not just once for a project, you do it so that you create a way to generally access all of this data that is you know, from your legacy data sources. But 
The second thing I wanted, to, or the third thing I wanted to talk about was the, the third paper that we worked on, which is the idea of debugging data. Now, I, when I went to the first uh, O'Reilly AI conference, Peter Norvig got up and said, you know, that what's really interesting to him was that we're now at a situation where we, when we look at the data in an AI or ML project, the data is much more like the source code than it is like a descriptive attribute as it is in most other applications. And so the data itself is driving the behavior and the results, just like the, in, in a traditional application, the software source code does. But just like you have to debug the source code, he said, we're gonna have to learn to debug the data. We're gonna have to learn to take that data and uh, find out what's wrong with it in order to get a better result, the result that we're looking for. And so um, he said, but we don't know how to do that. We don't have tools for debugging data. You know, and, and you know, in this paper we talk about, you know, the paper is called Debugging Data, Why Data Quality is Essential for AI and Le Machine Learning Success. We talk about, you know, why um, uh, data is sometimes uh, biased or why the data that actually represents the current state of affairs may not be uh, sufficient to actually get the right result. Uh, how do you debug, how do you understand what biases are in the data? Uh, how do you then go and uh, remedy them? You know, and it's not, as I said, it's not completely figured out, but there are definite applications of the current techniques of data quality, of data profiling, uh, that can help you determine what's in, used in conjunction, of course, with the, you know, the models and, and, and close observation of the models that can help you figure out what the bugs in your data. Can you tell me a little bit about how people are addressing this problem, you know, in real world AI and ML applications? I think they, uh, the, um, uh, if, if you look at uh, last year, for example, there was a, a really increased uh, uh, prototyping and research and uh, adoption of uh, machine learning and AI in some of the uh, core stream applications uh, in the enterprise. And, uh, uh, the initial kind of uh, view of I'm creating a data marketplace and data bazaar or data as a service architecture and I will be doing all these types of analytics uh, on top of this. So bring as much as data as you like. It's immediately started kind of blurring because uh, people realize that actually dumping all the data doesn't necessarily give the best insights because you have the problems with the matching, the duplication, uh, uh, incorrect data sets, and uh, all of the basic basic uh, data quality challenges you have, uh, in addition to the capacity that you might be running out. So uh, the uh, basic uh, data quality uh, practices have to be in place. There is no question about that. And uh, we are seeing, for example, for anti-money laundering or fraud detection, uh, uh, let's take AML, uh, anti-money laundering, as an example. It's very important in these distributed environments to be able to kind of uh, do uh, uh, deduplication, entity matching, entity resolution, uh, in order to find uh, 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 if a particular uh, person or either uh, 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 organization is the single or trace back the to the uh, original transaction, etc. 
those are uh, somewhat complex uh, data quality requirements. Complex because also it's a distributed uh, compute environment now. So having uh, entity resolution matching in a traditional single server versus a distributed compute platform is uh, slightly more challenging and you have to be very scalable and uh, high performance and uh, deal with those problems. So I, I, I think uh, organizations recognize uh, and the data science teams recognize that uh, there's a, a significant amount of time spent on the preparing and cleansing the data in order to make use of it. So they start uh, looking at how do I automate this now? Is there anything that I can actually use to start uh, feeding in uh, as possible, uh, uh, as much as possible, uh, uh, more clean and uh, deduplicating and uh, uh, usable data to the uh, machine learning and AI and data and, science pipeline. But it's also a very tricky process because as soon as you start changing the data, it's like you're changing the code. And in, instead of taking out bias, you can introduce bias. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's so, so it, it's, it's a feedback loop that you have to, to, uh, to pay attention to. And uh, I don't think there's, it's well understood how to, you know, protect yourself from these errors. I think people are still trying to figure it out. I, I agree with that. Uh, that has to be an iterative uh, process, uh, kind of learning and improving uh, as we move forward. Got it. Well, Tendu, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's really nice to meet you again at Strata, and I hope to talk to you next at the next data conference we find ourselves at. Thank you. Thanks, Dan.